This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Well, good morning. My name is Will, and I'm the youth pastor at Church of the Resurrection. It is good to be with you on this second Sunday of Easter. You know, one of the hidden blessings of this crisis is that, in a way, we've all been cured of a very debilitating problem in modern society. We've been inoculated, given herd immunity, concerning this thing called FOMO, the fear of missing out. And that's because our fears have been realized. And instead of living with FOMO, we're just living with MO, (laughs) missing out. Missing out hurts because it feels so final. When you walk into the lunchroom, right as everyone is laughing at something that just happened, you don't even want to ask why because you know that it's never going to be as funny as it was the first time. You can't replicate an amazing concert. If you missed out, then you missed out. And nothing can change that. And a lot of us are grieving that right now. Our seniors in high school are grieving the loss of their final semester. In our church, we're, we're still grieving because we weren't together to celebrate Holy Week, which is so important to us. And sometimes even in church, we feel like we miss out even when we're together. You see someone over there having this powerful spiritual experience while inside you just feel empty and dry. It hurts to miss out. And I say this because the gospel passage that we read this morning is a story about missing out. It tells us about the first time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. And all of them are there except one, Thomas. Thomas missed out. We don't know why he wasn't there. I mean, maybe the mood in the room was too heavy and he he needed to just get outside for some fresh air. But can you imagine what it must have felt like for Thomas to return that night? He comes back expecting the same fearful atmosphere that he left. And instead, the door opens and the disciples are filled with awe and wonder and excitement. Thomas, we saw him. We saw the Lord. It was him. It was really him. And Thomas's heart just sinks. He can't bring himself to join in their celebration. He says, I'm sorry, guys, I just can't believe. Not unless I see it myself. Thomas doubted, but before that, Thomas missed out. And so that's the reason that we read this story on this second Sunday of Easter, because we share something with Thomas because we weren't there either. We missed out too. And John wrote this story in the first place to say this, that he wants us to know that even though we weren't there, we have not missed out. And that the joy and celebration of the disciples can be ours as well, even though we weren't there. This is a story about doubt and disappointment, but even more, it's a story about a second chance, a new beginning, And an invitation from Jesus who says this, trust me. Now, who is Thomas? We don't hear much about him in the New Testament. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's just listed. His name is just listed with the other disciples. But John's gospel tells us a little bit more. And what we learn about Thomas is that he's a concrete, tell-it-like-it-is kind of guy. So earlier in the gospel, when it's clear that Jerusalem is no longer a safe place 
And Jesus suggests that the disciples go near there. Thomas is the one who says, well, if he's going, then let's go too so we can die with him. And later, when Jesus gives his most important and final teaching to the disciples and is speaking admittedly, abstractly, talking about a place where he's going that they can come to because they know the way, it's Thomas who raises his hand and says, um, ex- excuse me, Lord, just a clarification. We do not know where you're going and we do not know the way. And so it's no surprise that here Thomas tells it like it is. I just can't believe not unless I see it too. And this, of course, is where Thomas gets his reputation as doubting Thomas. But we can relate. Because like Thomas, we are asked to believe the testimonies of the disciples who were there that night. We're asked to believe the writings of the New Testament that come from their authority. A man born to a virgin? Healings and exorcisms and miraculous stores of food pulled from midair? And how about this? A supposedly great moral teacher who says about all of those strange and difficult passages in the Old Testament, none of these words will ever pass away. Believing the resurrection is just the icing on the cake. And we experience many reasons to doubt over the course of our lives. And sometimes those doubts are small, as small as, God, I don't think anything good can come from not seeing the White Sox play baseball this year. But sometimes the experience of doubt can be devastating. See, doubt, it's, it's not like hearing from your contractor, oh, you know what, the roof needs to be replaced or the windows need to be replaced. No, doubt is like hearing from the contractor that the foundations have been destroyed, Termoy, termites have filled the house and it's no longer livable. Faith touches everything, your friends, your job, your living situation, your family, your children, your hobbies. And so doubt doesn't just call God into question, but it feels like it calls your whole life into question. And so what do we do with our doubts? What do we do with those questions that we can't fully answer? This passage gives us some guidance. Look with me at verse 26. A week later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. I want to pause there for a minute. Thomas, doubting Thomas, the only disciple who doesn't believe, is still with the others. See, often doubt makes us feel like we need to pull away until we sort things out, that the church is no longer a safe place for us to be. But this story suggests the opposite. Thomas remains with the disciples, even though he's unable to join them in their feelings of joy and consolation. Doubt is not a reason to leave the church. In fact, it's all the more reason to stay. And verse 26 continues, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, just as it happened a week earlier. And now notice Jesus' response to Thomas. He knows exactly what Thomas said, but he doesn't embarrass him. He doesn't shame him for his doubts. Instead, Jesus offers to him exactly what he wanted. Put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Can you see the great 
compassion that Jesus has for Thomas in this moment. And let me ask you this, why should his response to you be any different regarding your doubts? You see, this moment reveals something very important about the character of Jesus. But even more than that, not just Jesus, but also the character of God throughout the whole Bible, that God doesn't reject those with questions or doubts. In fact, many of the greatest heroes of the biblical story, Moses, Aaron, Elijah, Peter, Sarah, Miriam, Naomi, not to mention Job and many of the psalmists are men and women who questioned God who didn't understand what God was doing. And sometimes God's response is more severe and sometimes it's gentle, but it's always his will to reveal himself to those with doubts. Now, what makes doubt different than the sin of unbelief that the Bible also talks about? I think one key difference is this, pride. See, doubt that comes from a place of honesty and humility That kind of doubt seeks closeness. It seeks resolution. It's the kind of doubt that that comes from the lips of a man in Mark's gospel who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But the other kind of doubting called unbelief comes from a place of pride. It uses these big, scary questions as a way of keeping God at arm's length. Unbelief shouts, how could you let this happen? How could you ask that of me? And then slams the door shut without waiting for an answer. And it's important to distinguish these two kinds of doubt because doubt is often portrayed as something courageous. The cynic is the one who has the courage to see problems for what they are while the faithful are naive or afraid of being made uncomfortable. But unbelief is not courageous. The writer Frederick Buechner, who is no stranger to honest and difficult questions, said this about cynicism and unbelief. He said, unbelief is just as much of a choice as belief is. What makes unbelief more appealing is that believing requires something of us. It requires some understanding, some measure of effort. Not to believe doesn't require much of anything at all. Doubt doesn't take courage. It doesn't take courage to stand in the back of the room and judge those who are having a different experience than you. But faith, faith in the midst of doubt, that does take courage. So how do we do that? Where do we find courage to have faith in the midst of doubt? We begin by remembering what faith truly is. Faith is not just believing a set of facts and propositions about God. Faith is a relationship of trust. So when you say that you have faith in the doctors who are going to be performing your surgery, you don't just mean that you believe that they've done this before or that they've been to medical school. You mean that you've entrusted your life to them. You've entrusted your well-being to them. And so it's not simply that Christians believe the creeds about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the facts that are there, but it's that we've trusted this triune God with our lives. And so what do we do with our doubts? We entrust those to God as well. We read and we study and we ask questions, but always from a place of trust. St. Augustine said, if you don't understand, then believe. And then perhaps you'll understand. Many of us have had a similar experience. 
You know, by now, uh, many of us have heard the story of Pastor Andrew Brunson, who's an American missionary serving in Turkey. He was falsely accused of spying and jailed for two years before recently being released. And Brunson later said that the crisis of his faith during that time wasn't because of the imprisonment. I mean, he, he was a Christian. He read the Bible. He expected persecution. But what he didn't expect was to feel abandoned by God. He didn't expect to no longer find joy in prayer and worship like he had before. Because for two years, he had no sense of God's presence. And he said to God, look, I'm a father too. And when my son cries for help, I go to him. So if you're my father and I'm crying to you, why don't you come to me? Why do you stay silent? And at his lowest moment, Brunson cried to God and he was surprised to hear what he found himself saying. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. He didn't have answers to his questions, but God had given him grace to trust him despite not having those answers. And how many of us have this story? There are questions and doubts that that years ago used to bother us. They used to shake the foundations of our faith, but they no longer do so anymore. And sometimes that's because we've found answers to those questions, but oftentimes it's because we've learned to trust despite not having all of the answers. And what I'm talking about here is, is not what we call blind faith, as if Christianity means leaving your brain at the door, leaving science and history behind. Christians have good reason to trust the witness of the disciples recorded in the New Testament. I mean, one of the most convincing to me is this, that of all these, all these disciples were, were martyred, all of them except for one. All of them were killed for their faith. And not one of them ever took back what they said about the resurrection. But here's the thing, they had nothing to gain because of this. They didn't, they didn't earn money, they didn't earn accolade, they didn't overthrow the, the powers that be. They didn't live in palaces. They lost everything. So why would they do that if it was all a lie? What's the motive? See, that is one among many good historical reasons for faith. Faith is not blind. And so what do we do with our doubts? We ask God for the courage to trust amidst doubt. We entrust those doubts to Jesus. We trust and say, I believe, help my unbelief. Because faith is not in our ability to answer every objection. But faith is in the trustworthiness of Jesus, the one who does hold the answers. But here we transition because doubts and questions, those are just the beginning. Like Pastor Brunson, Almost always behind the word doubt is another word, disappointment. And I find this again and again in conversations with students and adults. They tell me they're struggling with doubt and we talk through some of those and, we, and I provide some satisfactory answers that they agree with, but it doesn't seem to get at the root of the problem because beneath those questions is something else. It's something like how they've never experienced 
the Lord's presence before. Or it's that they, they've longed and longed for a romantic partner who's just not coming. Or it's because they were hurt in a profound way by someone else and they can't square that experience with the goodness of God. And these disappointments make people say with Thomas, I just can't believe. Not after what I've been through. Well, the same was true for Thomas. See, the cross was devastating for the disciples. And it wasn't just the gruesomeness of this Roman method of execution. It was also because for the last three years, the disciples had come to believe that they were at a movement, at the forefront of a movement that was going to alter history. The cross put an end to all of that. But there was more. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the death of Jesus on a cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. It was a particularly difficult pill to swallow. Because the Hebrew scriptures say, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. So the cross didn't just look like a rejection of Jesus and his ministry and his claims about himself. It didn't just look like a rejection from the people, but it looked like a rejection from God himself. How could a man cursed by God rise again from the dead? And Thomas needs to see and touch the wounds in Jesus' hands, feet, and side. Why? Because he needed to know that this risen Jesus was the same one who suffered on the cross a week earlier. He needed to see that these two things could go together. The goodness of God and the resurrection and the horror and suffering of the cross. And in a similar way, you and I need to see that our disappointments and our suffering don't get the final word, that the goodness of God overcomes those. Why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did God allow this to happen to my child? And those are some of the biggest questions that any of us could ask. And there is no easy answer to any of those questions. But we know where to look, to the death and resurrection of Jesus who shared our suffering. Those disappointments in your life, those disappointments that you've brought on yourself, God, how did my life end up this way? Those disappointments are paid for on the cross and you are freed from shame. Those, those hurts that others have caused you, those wounds, why did you let this happen to me? Those wounds are healed on the cross. You can be healed. You can learn to forgive. Those sacrifices that, that God asks you to make, God, how could you demand this of me? Those are a way to share in the victory of the cross. You can pass this test by his grace. The French writer Léon Blois once said that man has places in his heart which do not exist. Man has places in his heart that do not exist and into them enters suffering in order that they may have existence. See, one thing that suffering can do is that it opens us to a new and deeper understanding of who God is. 
That's what Pastor Andrew Brunson experienced. That's what we can experience when we trust Jesus with our disappointments. It's what happened for Thomas. When Thomas sees Jesus, when he sees his hands and feet, he comes to the clearest understanding of Jesus, of anyone in John's gospel. Verse 28, Thomas says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Before any of the disciples doubting Thomas, the one who missed out, the one who didn't believe, doubting Thomas is the first to understand what we proclaim in the creeds that Jesus is not simply the savior of the world who died and rose again, but Jesus is God himself, suffering in our place, rising again to give us life. So Thomas may have missed out on that first Sunday, but he received something much, much better on the second. And the same is true for you and me today. That's why it doesn't matter that Thomas missed out. It doesn't matter that you and I missed out on that first Easter Sunday because believing that Jesus has done something about the gravest disappointments in our life, believing that Jesus has done something about those on the cross isn't the kind of thing that you can see with your eyes, even if it's right in front of you. It's the kind of thing that you can only see through faith. And that's why Jesus turns to you and me some 2,000 years later and says, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And John records it here in order to say that all of these things, the entire gospel has been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Faith is about more than seeing, it's about trust. Trust in the midst of doubt, trust that our disappointments do not get the final word. And here I'll close. During this pandemic, we have been rattled in ways that are absolutely foreign to the Western suburbs. Pandemics don't happen here. Overcrowded hospitals don't happen here. Shelter-in-place orders don't happen here. But now they do. And my question is, what places is this experience, what places is this suffering opening up in your heart? You see, we want this to change us. We want God to use this evil to deepen our trust in him. We want him to reorder our lives and priorities around those who suffer like this every day. We want, like Thomas, to see Jesus more clearly than we ever have before. We don't want to miss out. And so how can we see Jesus in all of this? by trusting him. If you're listening to this and it's been a long time since you trusted Jesus, or if you've never had this experience of trusting him before, now is a great time to begin. Now is a great time to begin again. Don't miss out. This is a great time to trust him with your doubts, your disappointments, your grief, your suffering, your job, your family, your health. Because this is the truth that Thomas understands this day, that Jesus 
is trustworthy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.